Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I am your co-host, Ken Hellenius, sitting in my home studios in South Bend, Indiana, where it's currently snowing. And uh, we've already got 12 inches of snow on the ground, so it just keeps coming. But sitting virtually right next to me in his own home studio in Portland, Oregon, is my beloved co-host. He's a preacher, he's a teacher, and he's the most dynamic of permanent deacons. It's Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Hello, Deacon. Hello, Ken. Uh, boy, I, I almost can't see you with all that snow. You're like buried, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, uh, yeah, we actually, so we don't um, often get to record live uh, every week. And so sometimes mm. we get to, you know, record some shows together all at once. And, and this particular week, we have been hit by uh, more than a foot of snow in South Bend. Um, and it was the first major kind of, actual proper snow event of the year. I mean, we've had a little bit here and there, but, but this one, and it was not until, uh, so the snow started, you know, on, on like at midnight and it wasn't until three 30 PM on the second day when we saw our first snow plow go down the street. Uh, (laughs) So fortunately uh, I have the kind of job at the university of Notre Dame that I can uh, work remotely. Uh, and so, uh, I was able to still do, uh, you know, all my tasks and things like that, but, but wow. Yeah. Lots and lots of snow all at once, um, makes for a, makes for a, uh, a, a cold trip. It's fun to watch the dogs though. The dogs go out the back door and they actually kind of hop uh, because the snow comes up well past their tummies as they're, as they're, uh, outside. So yeah, it's been something else. Wow. Here. Something else. Well, I, I, and you're getting that, are you getting into that lake effect snow too then? So a little bit of lake effect snow. And right. I'll tell you what, uh, they actually closed the university uh, for what? a snow day. I know you being a Notre Dame alumnus will appreciate this. We had a snow day at the university. That is rare that <laughs> they is. ever do that. It is. I, I remember it was my freshman year. It was, uh, the, like I said, the first time I ever heard anything on the emergency broadcast system besides this is only a test yeah. and the beep yep. was at Notre Dame. The temperature got to like 50 below zero. Jeez the high wow. for the day was below zero. <laughs> And they, and they issued like a five-day weather alert. And so we still had class. Wow. We didn't, they didn't cancel classes. <laughs> and so now they're canceling classes because of snow. I'm like, oh, they're getting soft out yeah. there. <laughs> it, was, it was rare. One of my colleagues noted, he said, you know, I've been affiliated with the university for more than 25 years. He said, I think this is the fifth time in all of those years that the university is closed for anything. And, mm. uh, and um, I've been here for at least three of those closing days. Because uh, one time it was because oh. it was 20 below zero. And, it, and you know. My car wouldn't even start. So yeah, wow. it, it can get, it can get pretty severe here in the Midwest. And, you know, honestly, and I know I've said this before, but it's actually days like this when one's mind turns very easily to those who are homeless and those who don't yeah. have heat and our, our brothers and sisters in poverty are the ones that, you know, here I am bundled up in my house and, and cozy and all that. And there are people even around us that we don't see. 
uh, who are freezing. And these are the people that, you know, like St. James wrote, you know, you don't want to tell somebody to keep warm and well fed when it's 20 below zero outside and they're hungry. You know, these are the people that we are called to practice charity towards and to pray for and then to have practical charity towards. So that's what I think about on on days like today. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And one thing that uh, I was just I was just talking about this with a friend the other day that it's yes, Jesus says. Feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, they still go back on the street. You know, what, what do we, we what we need to work toward as we fulfill people's corporeal needs? How do we actually work it to get them off the street? Yes. Th- that that should be the goal. Because you know, I had some um uh some consultants that were here visiting from Milwaukee, never been to Portland before. And they kept hearing all these wonderful things, but now they were walking around downtown and they're like, oh my goodness, it's just, this is not anything like I expected, you know, it's just very sad, Yeah, you know? Um, And and so we need to work together as a community, as a a community of faith and a body of Christ to really work toward a a, a long-term solution to this problem. You know, in the social teaching of the Catholic Church, we actually often talk about this. There's direct service that needs to happen. As you're saying, we need to right here feed this hungry person in front of me right here. And then there's also the work for systemic change, to change the systems and structures that allow people to become homeless and 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 hungry and not have food security and things like that. Both of those are needed. And that's why the church has, you know, people who are lobbying for changes in laws and policies, as well as St. Vincent de Paul that's actually handing out the actual food for this person right here and right now on behalf of us, on on behalf of us. If we're not doing it directly ourselves, are we supporting the people in our parish and in our in our diocese that are performing these these great acts of charity and mercy on our behalf? Uh, and but then also we need to be doing it ourselves as well as supporting systemic change and working to fix those structures. Again, this side of the second coming, we are not going to have a perfect society in a perfect world. That's That only comes in the recapitulation in Christ when all things are made new. But we can work towards building the kingdom, and that's what we need to be doing here in our Christian life. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very well said. I couldn't say it any better. That's awesome. Well, we have been talking these past few weeks about your new book, Deacon. It's entitled Our Life of Service, the Handbook for Christian Deacons, <laughs> the Handbook for Catholic mm-hmm. Deacons, who also happen to be Christian. I, I want to go <laughs> yeah, ahead and acknowledge right. that. Catholics <laughs> are indeed Christians, the original ones. Uh, and so um, we've been having a wonderful chat. Last week, you kind of explained for us, you, you took us through the the core of the book and, and what each of the different chapters was about. We ended our conversation last week speaking about some of the fruits of your own married life. So you are a married permanent deacon. You have, you know, children, you, you've been married to your bride for, for many years. And we kind of started talking about what are some of the ways that your married life, your sacramental marriage has informed and formed your ministerial life as a permanent deacon. Uh, you mentioned last week when we finished that, uh, you know, when you're counseling couples and when you're helping form couples that are preparing for marriage, those are some of the kind of ways that uh, you've been able to bring your own personal experience in. 
What are maybe some of the other ways that uh, your married life has affected and informed your ministerial life? Well, I think uh, a lot of people are struggling to find balance and perspective in their lives because, you know, what is it, you know, if we're married, what is the the, the pecking order, right? Relationship with God, you know, your marriage, your family, and then everything else after that. But let's be real. You know, so sometimes things happen in life where the, the priorities get out of order. Yeah. You know, so sometimes your work becomes a priority and, and, and uh, you're working so much that sometimes your, your wife may feel that you're neglecting her and the family. Your prayer life starts to suffer mm-hmm. because right now this particular aspect in your life, in your work life is taking over everything else. Right. Or maybe even you're, you're going through something in your marriage you know, and things aren't going so well. So that's affecting your prayer life and affecting your work performance, you know, because you you can't focus because you have all these other things on your mind. So that's why I think in, in my own life, helping uh, men and families to understand that you have to keep the priority, God, family, and everything else, right? I mean, because sometimes I even struggle with that. You know, um, there was a time that I was traveling, you know, before COVID mm-hmm. and, um, and I thought everything was going well. And, I, and then COVID hit and I came home and uh, my wife said, I, we, we need to talk. I was like, oh, OK, you know, <laughs> but then she started like, oh, we need to talk, talk, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what, what we discovered was that basically we weren't we weren't going deep enough. You know, I, I, was, I was coming home in between trips and that was fine. And all the bills are being paid and that that was all fine. But we weren't having the kinds of conversations that we used to have. You know, yeah. the, the kind of deep, especially we were at a point where, you know, we're becoming empty nesters, right? The last two kids are college. And so now what? Right. You know, what, what happens to us now? What does our marriage look like now? You know, now that the focus is not solely on the kids. I mean, how, what does that look like for us? And, you know, do, my wife is like, I don't want to be here by myself all the time with you, God, you know, because I still have two college tuitions to pay. So, <laughs> so I guess, so, so I, no, right, seriously, so right? I'm struggling now. Okay, I've got my prayer life, which I do my office and everything every day, which I absolutely love. But yet I'm trying to balance, okay, how do I go out and do what God's calling me to do, provide for the family, and yet make sure that my my marriage is, is still strong and healthy at the same time. Right. So everybody is struggling with balancing, you know, and, and perspective. And so I think people that think that, oh, well, Deacon Harold has it all together. Well, no, Deacon Harold, like everybody else, <laughs> you know, we're, we're all struggling. Right. But to right. share that, that beautiful gift of vulnerability and being able to share that struggle and be able to understand people's experiences and be able to say, okay, well, how do you do it? Well, you may not be able to do it the same way as me, but maybe my story can inspire you, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. to, to work with the Lord, to find ways to find that balance of perspective in your own life. You know, sometimes that may mean counseling, you know, professional counseling, sometimes that which my wife and I did, you know, sometimes that may mean, you know, uh, cutting back on on travel, your work schedule. You know, maybe that means praying together more with your wife, because that often goes to the wayside. Right. You know, you were used to praying with your wife all of a sudden that you stopped, you know, get back to those things, you know, to get back to those habits again. It just sometimes it's just good to, to remind people. And some that even helps you to remind yourself as a deacon, you know, (laughs) you know, because you want to be able to practice what you're preaching. Yeah. One of the most interesting things to me is that even for the deacon, for the married deacon, permanent deacon, 
the marriage is actually the primary sacramental yes. definition and sacramental identity. Uh, I mean, Christian is the first, right? A, a baptized Christian is is first, but marriage comes before your diaconal ministry. Correct. And that's always going to be true for you. And, and I mean, until after, like if, if Colleen passes away, then then your diaconate becomes primary, I guess, in a way, right? Yeah, you know, Ken, that's interesting you mentioned that because there's a very, very close friend of mine. I've literally known this guy since kindergarten. <laughs> you know, uh, and we were in Boy Scouts with the grade school together. And he, he became a deacon several years ago. And uh, two years ago, right before Christmas, his wife died unexpectedly and suddenly. And, um, you know, and I just had, I've been staying in touch with them, obviously. And we had a conversation not too long ago. He's struggling right now. I mean, not just with his wife's death, but how now am I living out my diaconal ministry without, without my wife here? Cause she mm. wasn't doing anything that he was doing minister, anything like that. Right. But now he's kind of lost part of himself, you know, and, and cause remember the two become one flesh, right. In the covenant relationship of marriage. And he lost in a sense, he lost part of himself. Mm-hmm. And so that marriage identity, which flowed into the diaconal ministry with that piece gone. Now he's trying to struggle to figure out how do I, Where's my identity as a deacon now? How do I live out this ministry? He's been talking to priests because now he has to be celibate. He can't get married again. Sure. So he's ta- he's been talking with priests about celibacy because that's something he never anticipated, you know? But now all of a sudden he has to be celibate, you know? And I mean, for me, I mean, I, I was a, a Benedictine. So I, I, to me, I, I could think that I could make that transition back into, uh, and plus with my travel schedule, I mean, you know, I mean, you know it, you know, sexual intimacy is not is you know not that often. Just, sure, just to sure. be honest, yeah, yeah. and so um, so I am living celibate a lot of the time, especially when I'm traveling, and so trying to share that with my with my brother Deacon and my close friend, you know, it's hard to to see him struggle sure. the way he is, you know. Um, but to 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 try to be there for him, and and I put him in touch with other men who where that's happened to. In fact, one of the guys in the book. Right. Uh, one of the essays, I wanted to, to make sure that we covered celibate deacons, deacons who were married and their wives died. And now they have to figure out how to live out this diaconal ministry because they're now they're they're full time serving the church. Right. You right. Know? Um, so, yeah, that's it's a, it's a difficult um, uh, separation there, you know, because the marriage and the diaconate were so, in a sense, connected. Right. And now, in a sense, half of that is gone. And you yet, know, not that's... saying that Diakon is second place or anything like that, but I'm saying, you know, th- th- there was a sim, um, uh, a symbiosis. Is that the word I want to yeah. use? Yeah, I think so. Be- be- yeah. Be- yeah, between between the two, and now half is gone. You feel lost in a sense. You know, that's a very real struggle, and it's a very common struggle though for for widow, you know, widowers. I mean, who experience this? Who in some ways. You know, like if my wife passes away before I do, um, I mean, to be able to draw upon the experience of other widowers and to be able to, especially those who are men of prayer, you know, because who knows that could happen at literally any point in my life. Mm -hmm. Right. At any, we never know the day nor the hour as, as Christ says, and as St. Paul says, but to be able to draw upon even, and, and even to see, to see the struggle is a powerful witness as well. 
Um, so that's an interesting sort of thing that I guess most of us haven't thought about, you know, and yeah, especially and, among and the think about it, Ken. Yeah. And for, in your situation and others, if that were to happen, you could get, you could possibly get married again. Sure. Theoretically, but I kind of doubt it. I mean, look at me. Yeah, I know. But still. I, know. <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't either, even if I wasn't ordained, I probably wouldn't get, but again, but, yeah. but in our situation, we can't. Right. You know, that, right. you know, so because now the rest of our lives is supposed to be, dead, unless you become laicized or something like that, you know, um, sure. that, you know, so, I mean, it's, it's a very, very difficult road. And I can imagine what, what he's going through. And I, all I could do is just be there for him, you know, and to, uh, and I said this in the book that guys that are in that situation, they, they're struggling to figure out how they can serve the church effectively now. And I said, well, wait a minute, you have all those beautiful memories uh, of Pat, of Patricia. You have all those uh, wonderful experiences that you can now share right. with other couples. Right. And, and that keeps her alive. That keep you know that mm-hmm. keep not just her memory, but but your experiences that keeps that alive, and now she's still helping to form and shape these other couples to help inspire them to become the married couple that Christ calls them to be in anticipation of the wedding feast of the Lamb in heaven. Yeah, wow, Deacon. I want to ask a little bit about you know this is your newest book, Our Life of Service, the the handbook for Catholic deacons. How is it? related to your first book, Behold the Man, you know, kind of a Catholic vision of male spirituality. Um, how is the diaconate uh, an expression of maleness, an expression of manhood? Yeah, that's a great question, Ken. You know, one one thing that I found in my writing is how much I've been influenced by, by St. John Paul II. You know, um, the first book was was Behold the Man, mm-hmm. uh, a Catholic vision of male spirituality, and the the um, hermeneutic or the interpretive principle that underpins the book are is twofold. John Paul's anthropology for how he, in other words, how he understands um, humanity, um, uh, uh, how he sees uh, uh, the, the relationship between body and spirit, male and female. That, that whole relationship. Um, so, so, so I took it because he didn't write a really deep anthropology on male spirituality, but I took what he said about what it means to be a human being made in God's image and likeness. And I applied that to an authentic Catholic male spirituality. And the other half of it was St. Paul's theology of the cross. You know, where I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to, I want nothing, Paul says, except the cross of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at the other books that I've written, you'll, you'll, you'll kind of like, oh, that sounds familiar. Or, oh, I, you know, that because I, I can't help but draw from that wellspring, that foundation of, of, of John Paul II. In everything that I write, I've been so influenced by him at graduate school, um, and, and studying and reading his theology and studying his thought um, that that it, it, it does serve as a, a kind of a source for me. And obviously, I take it in different directions with the different books, but but you'll you'll find a little comment. You'll say, "Ooh, it is a little familiar." It's almost like your favorite band. You know, they'll write like a bunch of songs like, oh, this song kind of sounds like, you know, mm-hmm, there's, mm-hmm. there's elements of this, like, or guitar solo. There's right. elements of that solo in this song, or there's always a lick because I'm a guitar player, right? So right, the, right. You, there's this lick that, oh yeah, that's an Eddie Van Halen lick. 
Right. Because, you know, oh, yeah, he played in this song and this song. So there's kind of a common theme. And I think of what I do as, as a musician, really, creating a piece of music when I'm writing, you know. Um, so I think of it very much like that. And, and so w- what I did with this book, since, um, you know, I do talk about marriage uh, in, in the uh, um, particularly the in chapter four, well. serving my wife. Yeah. Yep. Yes. And so so I took some of those same elements and I brought them into this book, specifically, though, focusing it through the lens of diaconal ministry. OK, what does that spiritual male spirituality look like as a deacon? As I wrote the book, not just for it wasn't for deacons. It was for Catholic men, no matter what state in life they're in. You know, I mean, one of the greatest compliments I got was from Arch, my archbishop, Archbishop Sample, who wrote the, the uh, forward to, to the, the, the male spirituality book. He says, I could definitely see myself as a bishop in this book. You know, I, I've had men tell me that are single college kids. I definitely see myself or I see the kind of man I want to aspire to in this book. I've even had men who don't have sons, who have daughters, who've given the book. This is the kind of man I want my daughter to marry. You know, so, 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 so how do I then take that and say, okay, this is what it looks like in diaconal ministry. And so that's what I try to, so sometimes if you see some similar elements, or if I, I may even drew, drew some quotes from Behold the Man to make the connection, because instead of rewriting the whole thing again, I just want to make the connection between the things that I've said earlier about what it means to be an authentically Catholic man, but now how that looks in the diaconate. Wow. Well, it definitely comes through because I think as you, as you mentioned, you know, there's a wonderful uh, there in chapter four, you in your subsection called the gift of unity and distinction. You give us a very quick theology of marriage, which is, you know, basically John Paul II's theology of the body in about mm, nine paragraphs. You know, you're able to kind of explain and and kind of highlight some of those themes from uh, St. John Paul II about complementarity, about, um, again, connecting it to the analogy of the interior life of the Trinity uh, and how marriage is uh, an analogy of that, uh, especially in, in creation and what we, you know, in our marital love co-creation um and then you have also then in that same chapter there's a theology of the married diaconate and how married deacons image the life of service in a way that even our celibate bishops and priests uh, don't in a way Um, and i especially love also by the way that you draw the connection of the diaconate to the role of the levites in the uh, Old Testament, kind of in the um, uh, Church of Israel, you know, the, the, um, uh, the people of God, the Levites, those who served the priests, who got everything ready in the temple, who were the ones doing the dishes, who were taking away the ashes, all of those sorts of things that were necessary for the sacrifice that took place. Um, but they themselves were assistants and were helpers. Uh, and I think that that's such an important image and that really kind of helps unpack for us, those of us who maybe aren't uh, totally understanding of how the hierarchy works in the church. That, if you've read the Old Testament, if you've spent any time there, you, you see the word Levite and deacon now means a lot more to me because of that. I think that's a really beautiful image. Yeah, thank you for that, Ken. And um, yeah, so so 
um, it could be a little bit confusing because <laughs> sure. you know, there's 12 tribes of Israel, right? Manasseh, Reuben, Simeon, Judah, Dan, Benjamin, uh, Asher, Zebulun, Ephraim, Issachar, Naphtali, and Gad, right? So Ding. those are the 12 tribes. Got them. <laughs> but there is a, in a sense, a 13th tribe, which is, as scripture says, is not part of the 12, but it's a priestly tribe that's designed to serve the, the priestly needs, the, the sacrifices, everything with, with all the other tribes. And that is the tribe of Levi. Okay. Yeah. So within the tribe of Levi, there are high priests, priests, and Levites. Okay. Yeah. So, so there's a Levitical priesthood, which is carried out by the high priest, which is Aaron and Moses, right? Let's use it for example. Yep. You had the priests, and the priests were, were Kohen, which means in order to be a priest, you had to be a son, right? But then there was the Levitical priesthood, which was the priesthood that wasn't Kohen, because remember, after the um, the incident at the uh, Mount Sinai, right? Right, with um, the golden yeah, calf. They, they, and, they, yeah. they chose priests to come forward who were not sons. But they were chosen to be priests. So those are called Levitical priests. And then they were the Levites um, who were the servants of the priests mm-hmm. and, and, and the high priests. And it was very clear. Um, I quote here from uh, the book of uh, Numbers, um, uh, you know, that, that uh, they shall attend you and attend to all the duties of the tent, but they shall not come near to the vessels of the sanctuary or the altar. That's the deacon, right? right so we serve, right. but we're not the priests. Oh. And that's very clear from the Old Testament. So Christ kept that same structure. Uh, we have the high priests, right? The, the apostles, the, the bishops. You have the priests, right? The presbyters. And then you have the Levites who are the deacons today. Wow. Who'd have thought that in a handbook of Catholic deacons, we would get not only a tour of the book of numbers, but we're also going to get, we're also going to get an understanding. You have a fascinating conversation there too, about from the second Vatican council, when the uh, council fathers were discussing restoration of the uh, permanent diaconate, because it was not uh, part of the, the active life of the church for almost a thousand years. Um, And now, and now it's back and, and, so there's so much good stuff in this book. Uh, again, it's called Our Life of Service, the Handbook for Catholic Deacons by Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Um, but we can't talk about everything because we always want to leave them wanting more. And plus, <laughs> if you want to buy a copy of the book so that you can actually see all of it, we're going to have a link to it on our Facebook page, which you can get to at Living Stones Media. It's uh, like I say, it's published this year by Ave Maria Press out of Notre Dame, Indiana. Uh, but Deacon, until we gather next week, might we have a blessing? We Almighty God bless you and keep you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.